about Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Terry and Jerry Myers, and we'll be answering your most important questions on Steelhead Quest for Awareness. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Terry a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You will see a form in the right-hand column. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you do have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing businesses ask about fly fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Terry and Jerry Myers about the Steelhead Quest for Awareness. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing, and snorkeling, while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. Before we introduce Terry, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Terry's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy, a one-year subscription, to uh, the Drake Magazine. Uh, the Drake is a grassroots journal for fly fishing enthusiasts, and their great stories and photographs will keep you busy for hours. So here's how you can win that subscription to the Drake Magazine. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something we talk about during the show, and you must submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on your homepage. So listen closely and uh, use your best typing skills. Take some notes during the show and hopefully you'll win that uh, one-year subscription to the Drake Magazine. Our guests tonight are Terry and Jerry Myers. Terry has a family tree made of bamboo, born in Livingston, Montana, where her dad ran the Rainbow Motel and guided on the nearby rivers in the 1950s and 60s. Terry held a cane rod in her hand at a tender age, and she also learned to run a pair of oars early just to keep up with the family. She earned her guide's license in 1978 on the Middle Fork in the wilderness section of the Salmon River. Terry grew up with four river guide brothers, married an Idaho River outfitter, and raised two kids on the river who both also became river guides. 
Apart from steelheading, she, well, she's never really apart from steelheading. She volunteers for Trout Unlimited, where she works to strengthen community ties to their watershed. Terry and a friend discovered the Stream of Dreams Mural Society on a fishing trip to British Columbia. They spent the next year bringing the fish art and education product to their salmon schools. One of Terry's favorite people, Joan Wolf, once wrote that a fishing life is made up of stages, learning, going crazy, doing, mastering, and then education and conservation. This hit home for Terry, and these days she gets just as much enjoyment teaching someone about fishing and casting and talking about responsibility to the resource that she actually does fishing. Terry's a grandmother of five, mother of two, and a wife of one. Terry, hey, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and uh, glad to have your husband and uh, fishing partner, Jerry, on with us tonight as well. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having us tonight. Yeah, that's great. Say hello, Jerry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just standing by. I'm standing by. <laughs> <laughs> standing by. Good, good. Well, we're going to um, talk about uh, Terry's quest here, and um, Jerry will kind of be the color man here if needed. And uh, But this was really um, your idea, Terry, about going on a quest to try to catch a steelhead in every month of the year. Was that the, the goal? Yeah, that was the goal. And I made it as hard as possible by saying I had to do it swinging a fly, and they had to be wild steelhead, which limited uh, many rivers because the wild runs are declining. And also swinging a fly is there's probably more effective means, but probably not as fun of means for myself as swinging a fly. So I put those two caveats on it. Okay. All right. And um, what gave you the idea in the first place? I mean, what, what, what well, this on? like all our kind of ideas, they usually involve a campfire and a wall tent somewhere in the wilderness and a group of guys sitting around after a day of fishing. So we just said, as much as we love doing this and we love the Salmon River, we, we fish here all the time, it's our home water, wouldn't it be, able, be great to be able to do this on different rivers and just see if we could find a wild steelhead and maybe uh, bring a little awareness to the plight of wild steelhead? So I guess it just kind of generated out of a fire camp talk. And Yeah, and what? What's better than a road trip, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, were there other goals in mind, uh, you know, or experiences that you kind of, you know, had in, in mind going out besides catching fish? Well, I think every time you go to a new river and you fish a different river, you learn more about the steelhead that inhabit that river and crazy interesting thing about wild steelhead is they have such diverse life histories so I think part of it was to educate myself and also you know I wasn't sure where the whole thing would go but I just knew if I got that involved by going somewhere every month and we're in the middle of nowhere so for us to leave this place and travel. We're three hours from the nearest airport. We're three hours from the nearest city. We just, it's an effort. And 
uh, I just felt like it would be a challenge that would teach me a lot and perhaps I could use it to bring more awareness to Wild Steelhead. And, and we're not retired, so we had to... <laughs> We had, we had to mix we had to mix work responsibilities and family responsibilities with traveling and also I would say that Terry had a ball researching different rivers and learning about them before we traveled to them. Right, I'm, I'm sure that was a big part of it because you had to know would there even be the possibility of catching a steelhead that month of the year in that river, right? Yeah, and 2015 was the year we did it, and it was a drought year. And so many of the rivers that we had targeted either were super low or super warm, and fishing on those rivers just isn't the way to go for wild steelhead. You can perhaps find one, but if you uh, play a wild steelhead in water temperatures that are, yes, I would say 60s, you're causing that fish a lot of stress. So we set out for a river and probably uh, maybe three times just turned directions midway there and searched for a new river just because the weather got so hot or the uh, runoff was so low. And we did, did, you, did you stay primarily in the northwest of the United States and uh, southwest of Canada? Yeah, Roger, that was my intention was to target the northwest Unfortunately, that year being so warm, it didn't work out. I got uh, 10 months in basically the northwest and lower British Columbia, just, just north of the Washington border. But I ended up later on having the next year going to Alaska to get the May fish. May is a tricky month for steelhead in the northwest. And I hate to admit it, but I still haven't caught that. Elusive July fish. That July fish. Okay. Yeah. The tough well, let's kind of, yeah. yeah, let's kind of walk through uh, your journey here and just kind of, you know, tell us about the, the place. I mean, you started out in January, right? Right. And I think we had probably two and a half, three feet of snow on the ground here. We uh, dug out the camper. We loaded the drift boat, and uh, we took off for southern Oregon. And took our raft, floated a great river that uh, we had never floated before, and we ended up on the last day of a four-day trip uh, finally catching a wild steelhead. And it was it was nice uh, adventure, a, a part of the country that we had never really focused on. So that was January. And we got and, um I know we had talked before the show, uh, folks, we're not going to talk about specific rivers in some cases here because of their fragile existence and um, you know uh, Terry had done a lot of research to find these, these rivers so don't be surprised if, if a name isn't mentioned in <laughs> just an area so just a, a heads up on that but this river um, was was this a river that that is endangered do you think I would say yes yep yeah. I know some guides that have worked on it and they also guide up here and they have a lot of concerns about their wild steelhead down there. I I don't know of one river that probably doesn't have concerns about their wild steelhead. 
Right. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking they all yeah. probably do, yeah. And yeah. this river was pretty small and intimate, and I really valued the uh, the kind of local intel that you can pick up through friends of friends of friends. So we just kind of honor that by not, and I don't mind, there's some rivers that are huge and big, and you can find a hundred different runs up and down, but some of them are a little, little more, uh, I would say, close to the vest. Sure. Uh, I was a little packed we made. We did this trip using no guides, uh, just kind of exploring it ourselves and using the knowledge that we had of where steelhead do lay in a lot of the same types of water on any type of river. So we kind of uh, just hunted the way we hunt steelhead here and hoped we could could find them. Well, you certainly must know what you're doing because many people go out and fish for years trying to get their first steelhead, <laughs> much less one in every month. So um, I commend you on just, just the challenge itself. Uh, you guys must really know your way around steelhead for sure. With this river, um, you said you got the, the fish on the last day. What were the challenges you faced on that river? Was it weather, the river itself, oh, uh, fish? Basically, kind of our harebrained guide friends, who we love, said, yeah, just we'll run up here, we'll drop the boat in, uh, you will probably make it out tonight, but if you don't, uh, yeah, you can't really hike out, so, um, yeah, I don't know how we'll find you, just, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and oh, some class four rapids we ended up portaging because uh, the river was super low that year. And we ended up doing more of a whitewater trip than we did a fishing trip. But oh, we finally uh, a... got down where the water uh, smoothed out a little bit, found a couple nice runs. And there wasn't a lot of fish that year, but we just found the right little shaded uh side of the river it looked good and lo and behold there was one in there yeah yeah i'm going to mix in some questions from our audience here tonight um some of them are just uh, technical things about fly fishing for steelhead and other conservation questions but rob in middleton pennsylvania asks he says i attempted to steelhead fish in new york last month with no luck what i noticed is how different it was from trout fishing with little weight is there a technical way to learn practice on grass or on water that will assist? I guess he's talking about unweighted flies. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, or maybe he is using a heavier fly uh, with a little, I don't know, different from trout fishing with a little weight. Sometimes people go to pretty heavy flies when they're steelhead fishing. I, I think if you're using a single hand, which is what we did for years before we kind of caught on to the spay rods, it can be hard. It's a challenge to uh, cast a heavy fly. I think probably some of the keys are, are matching a line that can cast a heavier fly. They have so much new technology on lines. Uh, making sure you have a heavy enough uh, rod to, to throw that line with a, with a weighted fly. Um, if you're practicing your spay casting, it's really hard to do it without standing in the river and having that current. Part of spay casting is uh, the, the loop that's formed while your fly is on the water 
and your fly is actually anchored before you cast it out. So that's really hard to do on grass. They do make some leaders. They're called grass leaders that kind of uh, catch in the grass. That acts a little bit more like the current or the water mm. when you're casting. But, boy, you know, I think the, the best way to learn how to cast for one is to actually hook onto one, and then you'll do whatever it takes to hook onto another fish. So <laughs> get line out there, and you'll be motivated the first time you hook a steelhead. Well, you do a lot of swinging, I take it, right? It sounds like um, rather than – I know some people do a lot of nymphing for steelhead, um, another technique, but is your primary Yeah, I have never really been a big nymphing fan. I, for myself, I get such a kick out of the, the spay cast, and I still cast kind of a – uh, a scandy to a longer-bellied line, and I just find real beauty and grace in a spay cast. I love the take that a steelhead, uh, when it hits a fly, when it's swinging across the current, a lot of times it just hammers it, and your heart will stop every time. I, I think there's some real joy in and just kind of the tradition of the spay cast, and it may not be quite as effective all the time, but it's just my personal preference. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, something uh, a little away from the river here for a minute. Um, Stefan in Ellensburg, Washington, wrote in, and he says, How do you feel about the availability of wild-caught steelhead in our supermarkets and on high-end restaurant menus throughout the Pacific Northwest? Um, are you aware of any advocacy or ad- advocacy organizations lobbying or trying to change public opinion about closing the market for endangered species? Well, I know a little bit about that. I don't know a ton about that. I think whenever you have a listed species on a menu, the public is confused. And maybe for that reason in itself, it's probably not the way forward to be serving it. I understand kind of the locally sourced and the, uh, I think there's some tribal rights to be able to sell some of their uh, commercially caught uh, steelhead. And, you know, I, I respect that. I, I don't really want to get into those politics, but on the surface, it goes against my grain a little bit just as far as being a wild fish advocate, I think it can really confuse the public unless they really educate themselves on where it comes from and why. And we spend yeah. a lot of our time trying to advocate uh, steelhead fishermen to handle wild fish very carefully, keep them in the water, uh, obviously single barbless hooks. I mean, they're very, very valuable, the adults that do get back. So if we want to fish for them, we have a very high responsibility to make sure that we don't stress that fish any more than is needed. And and so anyway, it's hard. Wild steelhead should be given a, a pass in most instances. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't um, I, I did read on your blog, uh, I think you guys had a conversation with a biologist about rivers that do have a, a take limit, right? Um, 
where they basically um, had their reasons for, for having that, being able to take fish. You know, um, in 2015, Washington did still have a take, but I think they no long they don't have a take anymore. So on wild, oh, on okay. wild fish, yep. So that's changed, huh? Okay. Just okay. in the last few years. Yeah, yeah. Hatchery um, fish are available to anglers in in all the states. Hatchery introduced fish, and and to the non-steelhead fishermen, they go, well, how do you tell a hatchery origin from a wild origin? And they clip the adipose fins off all the hatchery releases, so their oh. adipose fin is missing. Ah, so you know right away. Okay, okay, good, good to know. Okay, um, we need to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about February and see what happened then. <laughs> All right. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products like the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are light, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Terry and Jerry Myers about Steelhead Quest for Awareness. If you would like to ask Terry a question or Jerry, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Well, uh Terry, I always ask uh, my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So uh, when you're not running around that ranch, uh, what are you doing uh, with fly fishing? Well, I actually spend quite a bit of time doing work for Trout Unlimited here, our local chapter. Uh, we have some programs. We're just trying to increase public awareness. We do a lot of restoration work up here in the Lemhi and the Upper Salmon. We uh, have some of the best spotting and rearing habitat left for wild steelhead. So we're trying to continually improve that. We have a great group of uh, ranchers, landowners, townsfolk, anglers, and there's a real good partnership working together up here to work on conservation efforts. So mostly restoration work. Public awareness, we did have a great women's uh, spay clave the other day. We had 12 ladies out learning our spay casts and having a good time. And um, I have grandkids, and we're trying to get them down. We have a pond and a, uh, a little casting pond here. And so basically just having fun uh, teaching and Working on restoration where it's possible. Cool, cool. Yeah, I've got a little four-year-old grandson I'm trying to uh, teach <laughs> as well. I got him one of those little uh, uh, Orvis 
practice rods, you know, so we've been working on the hardwood floor. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Those little Velcro fish. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's great, great that uh, that you can, uh, and you must have a beautiful place up there to teach those kids. So uh, Yeah, it is really like pretty. Them. It's kind of old. It's 100 years old. It's a historic ranch. It's been run as a hunting ranch and a guest ranch. And we have a little bit of stock, not a lot. They're, they're getting old like us. And But the nice thing is, is that we're probably five minutes from the river, and uh, it's just, perfect for uh, fishing and yeah, we do a lot yeah. of hiking we do a lot of riding off grid yep it's nice sounds good sounds good well let's uh talk more about your experience so uh february what happened in february february was on the olympic peninsula and that's probably one of my favorite places to head for steelhead we live in kind of an arid desert and it's just such a difference going into that rainforest, and they have a winter run of steelhead, and we uh, we charted out there. Did um, did the steelhead run all around the peninsula, or is there is the west coast better, or you know I know that you know it's kind of well, like a thumb sticking up there. The... the the west coast is probably better known and better fishing, but with the Elwha uh, restoration, they're going to have, you know, they'll have east side fishing hopefully someday fairly soon. And that's, you want to explain what you just, Elwha? The Elwha River was uh, a river on the, on the east side of the Olympic Peninsula that recently the Elwha Dam and the Glines Dam were removed just three oh. years ago. And the response, uh, the steelhead and salmon response has been overwhelmingly better than even what it was forecasted to do. So that's a really great, I think, success story where success stories with steelhead are hard to find. That's that's a, a pretty neat thing that happened. So Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Well, did Terry, did you get your fish in February? I did. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. Yep. Well, what was tell us about it. Well, we went out. Did you have to work hard? <laughs> no. I had fished these rivers before. I had a little familiarity with them. And we also went with a good friend that knew them well. Um in fact, I'll plug his name right now because but you guys will sure. think I'm cheating cuz I actually fished with him. He's like the most knowledgeable uh, steelhead biologist, his name's John McMillan, and he does um, a post weekly for, uh, let's see, it's wildsteelheaders.org, and the science that he produces is amazing, and he spends a lot of time underwater snorkeling. He is an amazing conservationist, but he could answer any biology question about steelhead you'd ever want to ask. So we got to fish the day with him and a lot of nice talks. And then uh, toward the end of the day, I had, uh, of course, left a jacket that I was wearing at the last run. So 
took my time walking back and got to that run and fished it one more time, and a fish had moved in. So I uh, attribute my forgetfulness to some uh, great uh, success at times. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Gave you another opportunity. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, good, good. Um, Rod in Portland, Oregon uh, wrote in. He says, uh, we cast, swing, and step all day long. When there comes a subtle take, how do you maintain your composure? Let the fish take it and do a strong hook set. I feel the grab and can't get myself to instantly set the hook and spend the rest of the day cursing myself because the fish was just mouthing it and I pulled it right out of its mouth. I'm new to this and don't have tons of fish to drive that message home. Any tips for him on, on that hook set? He needs to learn some new swear words because as long as you <laughs> Fish for steelhead, it'll keep happening. But I'll let Terry. Uh, I'll let Terry tell you what she does. I, I personally like to use a loop, and I just keep a maybe a ten inches of ten to twelve inches of uh, line looped in my lower hand when I'm holding my rod, and I don't pinch it hard. I just kind of let it flow through my fingers. If there's a take. I'll immediately feel that line moving through my fingers. And I try not to set the hook for steelhead. I know if you're an avid trout fisherman, you want to just immediately give a, a hook set. Steelhead actually, especially when you're swinging a fly, they'll follow that fly a lot of times and take it. And when they take it, they're pretty serious about taking it. And you let them kind of hook themselves. There's different circumstances, but as a rule of thumb, just let them get on there good and then maybe give a, a nice tilt toward the shore with your rod tip. Just I don't do anything really fast or jerky with the steelhead. Most of the time they set themselves pretty good. Hmm. Okay, it's hard to break those habits, I know. Oh, it you is. Know, yeah, I go down to the, the salt and uh, fish for tarpon and permit and so forth and uh <laughs> you know the, the the commandment is do not trout set <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know it's hard it's hard to break that yeah it certainly is yeah yeah um now you uh you wrote in your blog too that you visited a steelhead research facility while you were up there in the northwest in seattle can you tell us what you guys learned up there yeah, sure. That was in part due to a presentation that Jerry had given over there, so I'll let him talk a little about it. Sure. So I have some wonderful friends in NOAA, research scientists, and they had asked that I come to Seattle to do a presentation on how you get communities involved in restoration, because I did that type of work for six years. So. Uh, Terry and I went over, did the presentation, and then were invited to go to the Manchester, uh, it's called, or, uh, yeah, the, the Manchester Research Station, which is on Hood Canal. But the unique thing about that research station is they can actually do adult saltwater habitat research there because they pump saltwater into the research station and able to look at how steelhead build reds. Um, they looked at some, uh, I think, parasitic issues. It was uh, really interesting. We were only there for 
three or four hours, and it was three years ago, but uh, the amount of information that we we were trying to absorb was like trying to swallow a fire hose, but amazing research, and they're still going strong out there. But the unique thing is that saltwater research that uh, can't really happen. There's a lot of freshwater research, but saltwater research, once steelhead hits salt, they disperse so widely it becomes hard to actually do certain types of research on them. They still have problems with that and with the salmon, I guess, huh? Tracking them once they they leave the fresh water? Yeah, I, th I think they disperse for so long, but... Um, in the salt. They, in the salt. Yeah. And, but with new techniques in telemetry, especially with satellite telemetry, um, they're doing some amazing stuff, stuff that we don't really uh, stay abreast of, but we read about it um, often, and, you know, that would be a great, uh, another great radio show for you, Rogers, to talk to some of those scientists about what's going on recently. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, what happened in March? Was it a good month? March was a good month. Yeah, we fished our home water. And, <laughs> okay. Hey, that's too easy. That's too it easy. It is, but you know what? It's not always easy in March. We're often on about, uh, we've, we're backed up against uh, often 10 feet of shelf ice, and oh. there'll be ice birds floating down in front of us, and you, it's pretty hit and miss. And those fish, a lot of them have been sitting in here for a while, and they've seen a little of everything, and they get pretty picky, but... It was. It's great to get out in March. As soon as that ice goes out, we're we're looking for for places we can fish. And that one tested our marriage because it was March 29th, last light when Terry finally hooked a steelhead, and I just I was going, please, please let it be a wild <laughs> fish. And anyway, it was, it was. so. Uh, fortunately, nope. there was a bit of whiskey left in the flask, and uh, we were able to toast it. And she got her March fish. Well, good, good for good for you, Terry. Did now where are you? Where is your ranch located? Are you in Washington? I mean, uh, uh, Montana? No. Idaho? Well, actually, we are in Idaho, but uh, Idaho. Okay. Missoula is our nearest big town. We're just outside okay. of Salmon, Idaho, which is about three hours south of Missoula. Okay. Right. Uh, it's on the um, edge of the River of No Return Wilderness area. It's just okay. kind of in the middle of nowhere. That's why it's so great over here. Where? How how far did those uh, fish have to swim to get to your ranch? They are six six hundred plus miles inland. Six hundred miles. Yeah, and then they'll still go another hundred to spawn and up into the tributaries. So these are these are amazing fish. Eight hundred miles, one way in, and then back out again. Wow! They're the that highest elevation and furthest traveling inland uh, steelhead in the world. And you're on the Snake, right? We're on the Salmon. Oh, Salmon! I'm sorry. Yep, okay. The Salmon River, which is a tributary of the Snake. And so, yep. yeah, there's a Salmon in Oregon too, but. Right? I think, yep, and we're, we're Idaho. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Um, Dave Dillon in Norman, Oklahoma, wrote in, and he says, Terry, I've watched you uh, 
uh, your REI-sponsored film on the quest to catch a wild steelhead in every month of the year. Very impressive, especially since your husband, Jerry, sought it as much as you. Having never fished for steelhead, is it like musky fishing, cast of a thousand times for one fish? It seemed like you had many blank days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I've never fished for musky, but I bet you it is similar. I, uh, I did have a lot of blank days, and there is a reason they call them a fish of a thousand casts. And I think that, like we were just saying, when you are fishing for a fish that's traveled uh, maybe a couple thousand miles out in the ocean, traveled inland another 700, and somehow your little fly swinging across the current finds that fish, it's an incredible amount of magic, and I think that's what you, keeps you coming back when you get kind of discouraged and the fish are few and far between. But just when you do hook up with one of those fish, for us it's just it's so fun. So I guess I, I get down, but I never get out. <laughs> Sounds good, yeah. I should bring my partner up, Julie, uh, to... To, um, so that you can tutor her on, on why I stand out there for hours or days without catching fish. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> and she's shaking her head. <laughs> to people, especially when it's you know 38 degrees out or, or that's raining or snowing, and it's a little yep. nut. I know. It's there's still hope though. I, I uh, there's a little private lake I fished right down from my house here, and and we were down there, and I I got a little. 12-inch trout on her and handed her the rod, and then she brought that fish in, and then, then she's like, oh, this is fun. Can I start casting? <laughs> so, All right. So there's still hope. There's still hope. There is. <laughs> she does know how to row the drift boat now, so that's pretty good. So. Oh, my gosh. That's key. Yeah. yeah. Can she like back that. it up? <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, can she, can she back it up? <laughs> can she back it up? Not yet. <laughs> Uh, you mean in, you mean with the trailer or or on the river? Yeah, it's with the trailer. Yeah, yeah. No, no. She, I, I haven't given her that chance yet. So. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. So then um, April comes. What happens in April? April was tricky. It was. Uh, we went. Uh, let's see. You went by yourself. Right. Uh, at the last minute. We um, Jerry couldn't go. I think there was we we run off a little generator here and some solar panels, and we were having some issues. So I hopped in the camper and headed north to a, a river I had read about in southern BC near Vancouver, and went into the little local fly shop and gave a couple of the young guys there my uh, my story about what I was trying to do and did they think there was any hope and they drew a little uh, map on a paper sack and I got back in my camper and drove another couple hours and used a couple flies they had given me and I'll be dang it was I, my first cast I had my uh, I didn't get my line through my terminal guide so I you know kicked myself reel back in threw out a second cast and caught a steelhead and that was it that was my april fish just me and my wow. dog yeah wow 
Maybe you should leave Jerry home more often, huh? Well, I know. I was thought that was pretty <laughs> incredible. Uh, <laughs> Not saying you're bad luck, Jerry, but I'm sure. No, <clears throat> no I was pretty surprised. And she got it on video. She set a video camera down after she hooked it up, so there was proof, you know. Uh, oh. Sometimes I don't believe what she tells me. <laughs> oh, that's, that's too bad. Well, good for you, Terry. I'm glad you got that fish. And uh, we did have a, a question from uh, Terry McCarthy in, in Ladner, B.C. He says, I live in the, the lower mainland of British Columbia, and most of our rivers are experiencing low returns of steelhead and salmon. He says, we do have a large population of seals at the entrance to the Fraser River, and we are experiencing warmer water later into the year. What would you consider the greatest threat? We have a lot of different opinions here locally. Yeah, and again, you know, each area is unique, and I'm probably more familiar with, with our issues, but what I think is going on is probably real similar uh, habitat issues, uh, steelhead need, those clear little uh, cold side streams for spawning and rearing, the uh, warming water in, is with climate change is a big issue. I think um, definitely pinnipeds are taking a toll, but I think they have an easier time targeting smaller runs rather than just a continual movement of fish through a system. You get these little pods that make it easier to prey on and you know I I just think that it's probably fairly complicated there's not one uh, one single sing, single issue but I would say that if I think the the solution to a lot of these problems is probably not trying to place blame and finger pointing but Getting anyone you can to uh, getting a united voice among anglers just crying out that they want steelhead and salmon back. And maybe uh, I know you can get pretty divided trying to figure out the cause and place blame, but I, I think a better solution is just trying to unite your effort and, and just figure out how you all can work together. Do you think... Um you know, you had mentioned the dam removal up in the Olympic Peninsula. Um, uh, do you see more of that happening on Steelhead Rivers? You know, there's definitely more talk about it. And I think we're getting a – is becoming more of a closer reality. I'm not saying it will happen, but I think there are some dams. We talk a lot about our uh, lower Snake River dams. Our, there's four of them that we call deadbeat dams that really aren't necessary as they used to be with renewable energy competing with them and uh, they're seeing the toll they take on and it's basically the big warm reservoirs for uh, the migrating fish. So, you know, I, dams are definitely a big part of it, especially for our fish that are so far inland. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully in our lifetime we'll see some changes there. We're building habitat, and I think we can start looking at migration as part of the solution here, too. Yeah, yeah. 
the um, um, you know this is this is depleted over many many years, so it's like you say probably due to a number of reasons. Um, has the the commercial fishing uh, are, are they still doing a lot of commercial fishing for steelhead in the Northwest? You know, I don't think that they are doing some, but I don't think to any degree they used to. I think that they're not, it's not as profitable as it used to be. I, I think that there's... Once they were listed, a lot of yeah. the commercial fisheries were went out of business. There's some tribal uh, fishery, which, which, you know, after we... Uh, we we kind of stolen the lands from Native Americans, and then we dammed their rivers. And I think sometimes they take a, uh, I think probably more responsibility for declines in fish than than what they really do. But it's it's a difficult situation because you've got so many players trying to determine how rivers are managed, and uh, so there's plenty of places to point fingers, but the main solution is you just have to return rivers as close as you can to their natural, um, uh, you know, the, their natural history, their natural yeah. flows, their natural river banks, their natural tributaries, and everything's lost a little tiny piece at a time, and no one knows that they're doing any uh, detriment to the fishery, even sport fishermen, until they collapse, and that's kind of yeah. where we're at. Yeah, there was a, uh, I remember watching, sitting in a hotel room when, when I was traveling for business once and watching some kind of uh, uh, documentary uh, movie on um, forestry, and it was talking about the, the lumber barons starting to cut trees down on the east coast and moving west and literally they cut all the trees down all the way to, until they hit the Pacific Ocean, and then they realized, uh-oh, we don't have any more trees, <laughs> you know. And then they started thinking about replanting and, you know, reforesting uh, the forest. But it's funny how, you know, humans, being as smart as we are sometimes, are just as stupid uh, not realizing that, that any kind of resource can be depleted, you know. And uh, usually we, we realize that when it's, too late, um, but um, I guess we'll see, huh? <laughs> There's still hope um, yeah. for for the steelhead and, and salmon alike uh, as well, because um, those runs still aren't like they used to be either. So, um, so we get to May. May is not a good month, is it? May is a hard month. You can have <laughs> a lot of high muddy water. Uh, yep, most right of the Winter runs are are spawning, and we try we never fish over spawning fish. Uh, the summer fish haven't entered yet, so I did not catch my May fish. The following year, I was lucky enough to go up to uh, Alaska and uh, found a little river and went in on it and. Uh, had a ball. Had, we caught quite a few fish, and it was really pretty. We were, it, it's just a short river, but it had uh, fish that had entered the uh, fall before and through the winter. Then it had fresh fish coming in. 
it has salmon in it, and you just are standing there swinging your fly, and these fish are moving by you, and it was beautiful. Bears and bald eagles and, yeah, just, just like you picture a beautiful Alaska river. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where uh, I learned to fish in Alaska when I was a kid. So uh, many fond memories of the salmon and steelhead runs up there. Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, Phil, Phil Stock in Longmont, Colorado, asked, uh, what's your favorite skating fly for steelhead? Oh, I love that. I love uh, skating flies. It's fun. I actually have got into some of the skating patterns that probably are a little bit more of a, um, have some gold tones to them. And there's one called Brett's Klamath Skater that we use quite a bit. And the other one, I think it's pronounced Ska or Ska, S-K-A Hopper. And it's got uh, foam on it and it skates really well. And it has a little gold flash on it and orange and I think they're uh, kind of uh, rivers that have. Um, you can you can fish both without doing a riffle hitch. You just yeah. You can use a loop knot or tie it directly to the eye of the hook, but it makes them a little bit easier. But they they float under a lot of conditions, and sometimes sometimes just getting a, a like a a hair-tied fly to keep floating after five or six casts is hard. So foam-bodied skaters are probably the way forward. These, I think, have a little bit of a stonefly uh, look to them. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. So what about June? Where where'd you go in June? June? Oh, we're, at, we're at August. Or no, we're, we're in July. We're in June. Oh, yeah, okay. we went to the... Uh, we went to Washington and found a, a little river again that someone had told us about, a small river, and it was beautiful. We took the raft. We probably spent three days floating it, and uh, we fished for two days without finding a fish, and a couple old-timers had been watching us, and we ended up camping by them one night and and started chatting, and sure enough, they went in their trailer and came out with a, a little skull can, and it had maybe six flies in it, and said, take these out tomorrow. So I got a handful of flies, and the next day, I think we each caught a couple nice steelhead, and if it hadn't have been for those old boys handing us that little stash of flies, I don't know. It was great. <laughs> you never know, huh? Yeah. yeah. The locals uh, may have something. Um, well, I, you know, you always wonder about that because you always go into the local fly shop, you know, check in, see what's what's in. There's always seems to be some particular fly that is unique, you know, um, and and you always have to wonder about that. You know? I agree. You know, you know, it's a, a trout, a trout, a trout. You know, and it's like, why is this midge with a, uh, you know, a thread of orange just doing been, the trick? Yeah, the fishing yeah. was on that day. It might have not even yeah. been the flies, but yeah. we attributed yeah. it to those flies. And yeah, yeah, you never know. You know, that's the 
that's the strangeness about fishing is uh, we, we don't have all the answers. And, of course, that's part yeah, of the beauty of it. Yeah, especially with steelhead. They're so yeah, amazing. especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, i got to take another quick break, um, and then we'll come back and pick it up uh, from going from June on. we got some other questions from our guests to go through, so we'll take it from there. Looking right. for that shot at a permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island, and you're only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipRayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Terry Myers and Jerry Myers about Steelhead Quest for Awareness. Uh, and if you'd like to ask them a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay. Um, yeah, I kind of... Kind of threw Jerry off there because I moved around in the questions, and I. <laughs> but uh, we'll get back on track here. The um, there was a question from Bob in Columbia, Maryland. Uh, he says our TU group just had a big discussion about rigs for steelhead. What's your favorite and our most productive setup? Hmm. Uh, I think he's talking about terminal tackle and. Yeah, yeah. I. I'm. Pretty traditional, pretty simple. I am the worst techie when it comes to all the new gear and latest and greatest. So I kind of just stick with a spade line that is anywhere, probably a little bit on the longer side, a Scandi or even a, a mid-belly, say 40 to 50 feet. I've thrown some gadgets. I I don't think you need to get super big and heavy on rivers like the salmon unless you're fishing when it gets really cold out, 30, uh, 30 degrees to maybe the low 40s. But I, uh, I tend to fish smaller flies and uh, a leader probably similar to the rod length I have, whatever rod I'm using. And I try to kind of adjust the fly speed and depth with mending or perhaps where I cast across the current. I, I probably miss fish because I don't do heavier gear sometimes. But, again, I just really enjoy being out there casting, and I make it fun for myself. And so I tend to just kind of go with what feels good to me casting and, once in a while, I'll get into that old dredging situation and get some big intruder on with uh, a sink tip and a skagit line, but I don't know why. I just It's not quite as fun and graceful. It might be a little more productive in those bigger, deeper runs or bigger rivers where you need that. The salmon isn't one of those rivers most of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's a little vague, but I think... It kind of just shifts to where you're fishing and what type of fishing style you you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you're fishing with, I suppose, the different flies, yeah. like you said, depending on uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I, so, 
Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I I really like the Winston rods. Winston's been, uh, they're not far from here, and they've been really good conservation supporters, as does Orvis make some great rods. Um, Jerry fishes with the Birkenheimer, loves it. So, gosh, about any, uh, there's so many nice rods out there anymore. Mm -hmm. It's really important yeah. to talk to your local uh, fly shop or get online and study matching your line to your rod. That's almost more important than anything is having that nice rod matched to your line. Some will throw so much nicer when you figure that combination out. When you're saying that, are you talking about potentially having to overline a rod, as they say, using a heavier weight line than your rod to get it to balance better? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it just it depends on every rod kind of throws a different line a little different and the weight of the rod and the weight of the line. So it can, there's formulas, there's, there's grain weight, there's belly lengths, there's shooting and tapers, but most of that information your uh, guy at the fly shop can help you with or a lot of it is on online. Daniki Outdoors is a good website. Uh, Bio and Scientific Angler all help you match up your line to your rods. They tell you, oh, if it's a this and this rod, these lines work nice on it. And so there's a lot of information out there on, on getting your rig set up. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're moving through the summer, um, marching into July. Is fishing getting better in July? Not around us, it's not. Again, this is <laughs> okay. super hot drought year, and I we went to uh, British Columbia, and we did not have success. I, Jerry caught a fish up there, and unfortunately that didn't help me out. gave me hope, but it didn't uh, supply my July fish. So the next July... I spent five and a half, six days every day, all day on the, a river in Oregon, and I worked it so hard. And there were a few fish in there, and the water was low and clear, and they'd been fished over pretty heavy, but, man, I was determined to catch one and, and never did. So July's still out there for me. July. May and July, huh? Yeah. Well, I May I ended up getting that Alaska fish. Oh, that's right. I yeah. is still yeah. outstanding, yep. So yeah. I might have okay. to just go back and work it again, yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, Stefan in Ellensburg, uh, Washington, again, second question for him. Um, he says, are there any bright spots worth mentioning for wild steelhead habitat and intact populations remaining in the lower 48? You know, there are. There is a couple bright spots. Like Jerry was talking about the uh, the Elwha, and just yeah. to see what happens when dams do come out, see how good the recovery is. The uh, Skagit, they closed for many years, and then reopen and are managing for wild fish only and doing a really good job on that. And so they're opening a season again, but they've got quite a few restrictions. But I think it's paying off because they're seeing 
seeing some runs come back there. I think there are groups working together collaboratively. I think people are seeing that that's the way we're going to get anything done. Everybody's got to come to a table and give up a little something. And nothing's perfect, but at least we'll maybe figure out a way to get fish back. We've, Like I was saying, there's a lot of places that are putting a lot into restoration work. So if we do get uh, some changes downriver and improvement on migration, we'll have better habitat when when those rivers do open up. So it's not all doom and gloom, but it's definitely pushing a rock up the hill right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about August? Where did you get a fish in August? Let's see. August was great. August was in Idaho, and it wasn't on the salmon, but it was it was on the Clearwater. It's a, it's a big, beautiful river on the other side of the state. It's about a seven, eight-hour drive from here. And... Uh, we had fished it, Jerry's families from over in that way, so we stayed with them. And then uh, he had to get back to the ranch, so I stayed a couple extra days. And it was the last day of the month and the last hour of light. And I was pretty discouraged and went back to a place I started at that morning, and there was that little fish just right at dark. It was too dark to even take a picture of it. Yeah, so that you was like fun. to work under pressure, huh, Terry? I know. It <laughs> last day of the month and many times and last <laughs> hour of light. And, <laughs> gosh. I think it's just the number of hours you put in. Somebody up there has mercy on you and just gives you a fish. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Well, that's something. So um, uh, well, well, any any challenges that were specific to the Clearwater River there that you were Oh. I mean, a lot of this I know is just steelhead fishing, right? You know, I mean, you just have to put in the hours, like you say, right? But yeah. was there anything specific there? Oh, yeah. I uh, It was a super smoky uh, summer that year. There was some big fires mm. burning, and there was a lot of uh, smoke in the air, and which isn't a big deal. We're getting kind of used to that here in central Idaho, but we um, – the Clearwater is a beautiful, big river, and it can be a little daunting at times, but um, it was, uh, and then just fishing by yourself, again, the dog and I kind of look at each other and go, yeah, I don't know, is this worth it? What are we doing out here? This is day <laughs> six, and I don't know how many hours later, and just kind of, I think, the the hours spent, it, it was a, it was a tough, a tough fish, but it was a fish nonetheless. You, I was you, home doing you, her work for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, did you, you said it was a, I forget the word you used, I don't know, the, the clear water was a little daunting or whatever. Uh, is it just because it's a big river? Yeah, um, it is not, a big not river. Not hard to find fish? Or it is a it little, it, it's a little harder. The, the runs sometimes aren't as well defined, although there are some pretty, uh, Pretty known runs there and pretty traditional spay water. It's it's a little bigger water to wade, and um, I don't know. I didn't have a boat, so I end up usually doing a fair bit of hiking up and down the shore, which I like, and crossing side channels. And, yeah, it's 
But it was, uh, it's fun. It, it feels a little bit like my next home water. I, I really enjoy that mm. North Idaho country. And then what about September? What did September bring for you? September, we were back to Oregon again, so we were putting some miles on. And mm. it was really a beautiful desert river and um, just warm. Uh, we had, I think, another, we had taken the raft again, so we did three nights out on the river and didn't hook a fish the uh, first couple of days. And then on day three, it was late afternoon, and I think we started looking for camp, wondering if it was going to happen. And we, I heard Jerry go fish on about the time I had a fish on, and we actually ended the day with a double hookup, both land and a wild steelhead. Wow. Yeah, wow. so that That's was really nice. fun. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet it was. Um, I bet you that doesn't happen very often either, does No, it? as often as we fish together, it's probably happened twice or three times in our life, yeah. Because wow. I start reeling in. One of us gets a fish on a lot of times. We'll go down to help tail it or take pictures or whatever. So. Right. Yeah, but I didn't get my line in before I had a fish on too. Well, good for you. Good for you. Uh, Paul Bristol in the United Kingdom wrote in, and he says, the steelhead's populations are challenged. Are you aware of any where, where the population is increasing? And if so, what do you believe is the primary reason for the increase? I know we talked about the Elwha, but uh, is there any other particular area where you know where the steelhead have been increasing? Um, boy, increasing, I'm not sure. Maybe holding their own. Holding their I own, huh? Yeah. Perhaps Alaska, a little bit in B.C., but... I don't even think their numbers are as good as they've historically. They yeah. You know, I I wish I could say cut and dry that there's, you know, clear-cut reasons that fish are yeah. doing well somewhere, but not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we talked about one of the most beautiful months, I think, to fish in the West, which is September but October is a close second, right? Yeah, <laughs> October is beautiful, beautiful. And, and we have the yeah. big cottonwoods here, and it's uh, the salmon's a beautiful river to fish in October. We um, we get a lot of pressure, but if you're willing to kind of I don't know get along with folks and be patient and get up early and fish late, you'll find runs, and we. I, I don't know, just about anywhere fishing Idaho in the northwest is beautiful in October. And so did you, is that where you fished in home waters in October? Yeah, we usually do a wilderness float trip in, in October, and we'll put the raft on and go downriver for oh, a week at a time and set up set up our wall tent on the places we love down there. And generally we get out of the crowds just, going down river and and uh, getting down into the wilderness. But is that where you did your, your quest for October? I or have done summer? that, yes. This October I fished nearby, but traditionally I, I usually fish down there in October. Mm, okay, and, okay. Yeah. And you this got your is, October fish? This, I caught this in a run that we called a cathedral because we love to go there first light and – 
I don't know why we just find ourselves there and it just feels pretty magical and it's just kind of a nice little side channel it doesn't get a lot of people and that's our uh that's our one of our favorite runs and that's the area we focused on yeah yeah good for that october um, dave uh hudak in cleveland ohio says do you have any thoughts on the steelhead fisheries of the great lakes which Mostly are put and take without much natural reproduction. You know anything about fishing there? Have you ever fished steelhead? Great no, but, you know, I find it really interesting. I've looked into it a little bit, and I think it would be really fun to go over there and, and fish for steelhead there. I think, you know, it's always a little tricky when you have an introduced uh, fish that isn't native to the area impacting the native fish, but I think that, on the other hand, it, it's sure is an economic boom to the smaller communities and rural areas, and I don't know, it sure brings a lot of fun and joy to anglers that, I don't know, I think that both steelhead, I think, compete with some of the brook trout, but generally steelhead aren't real invasive, and, you know, you always have to wonder about uh, introduced uh, put-and-take yeah. fishery, but I think that's probably one of the better areas without being an expert or knowing yeah. that. Yeah, there's a lot of that with the salmon yeah. up there, too. and There's a lot going on up there, browns, uh, lake-run browns and, and things, uh, uh, quite a big fishery. I saw, uh, uh, again, a film on uh, the king salmon coming up the Columbia River back in early 1900s, and it was just incredible the amount of fish that used to come up into there um, that don't anymore. But, um, I mean, they had commercial fisheries on the river uh, bringing these fish in. It was really, I couldn't believe all the fish they were getting. It but, is amazing, uh, isn't it? The tonnage yeah. of fish. Yeah. Yeah. That, all that green nutrients and protein dispersing itself along the river when those salmon die and Man, it must have, uh, you know, just an amazing resource in itself for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we're almost to the end of the year. We're in November, and uh, uh, what was your experience in November? Oh, November was a really nice float trip again back to Oregon. We... Uh, we went with a friend that we've still had fished with for ages, and the three of us actually ended up all hooking fish, and oh, it was probably one of the nicer, uh, less stressful <laughs> months we had. I don't know. It just worked out. We we didn't we missed the crowds, and we hit some fish, and just all had a ball fishing together. Now, I noticed you had mentioned earlier you were pulling a drift boat, um, but I also saw you and raft at the same time. So do you take a take both kinds of boats with you on these trips? Or? Yeah, we do. We usually use our drift boat around here, although there are some rivers that we did pull it over to. But our raft, if we don't know the river and we know there's some rapids on it, uh, our raft's a little more forgiving and when you swing a fly, you're usually just um, on the shore anyway, and so we just use it to get from place to place to get out. Right. Yep. 
Yeah, more for transportation and yep. cover. Yeah, cover the. And and then a lot of times we camp out along the river. Almost, I bet you at least three or four of these rivers were three or four night trips. So we take our camping gear and just stay along the riverbank. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tim in Salem, Oregon, wrote in and asked, uh, "What which government agency is doing the best job in protecting or enhancing steelhead survival? Is it?" possible that their tactics could work in other regions? Well, I gave that uh, just here um, a thought, and I I can't come up with one, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. our government is not doing well on that realm. Yeah. I think what it takes is a grassroots effort. I do think there are some uh, political leaders in Washington and Oregon especially that are speaking out a little clearer and bringing stakeholders to a table and trying to work together to get some things done. I think Idaho is slowly bringing up the rear, but we're, I wish we had more political leadership. That's one thing we're lacking. But oh. hopefully with enough pressure, uh, you know, from advocates and grassroots folks, We'll get that going. Restoration yeah. plans take, with lost uh, and diminished runs, take so many years, even decades, to rebuild. When you have administrations changing all the time with uh, different priorities, it makes it really, really hard to put a, a 40 year or 50 year plan into place, and that's actually yeah. what it's going to take. That's what it's going to have to take. Yeah, uh, especially when you have, you know, some stopgap measures get reversed, <laughs> you know, uh, at, recently with uh, Pebble Mine in Alaska, which has been an ongoing battle. Um, yeah. You think we learn our lessons, you know, um, and not continue to destroy the lands. But uh, but anyway, other people have other ideas, and uh, we just have to, like you say, keep up the good work and keep up the fight and see if we can stop some of this and and rebuild. Uh, you know, and, and there's there's some bright spots too. You know, I go I like to go down to Belize, and Belize, uh, the whole country's kind of changing around. And it took a while, but um, you know, they went from depleting their fishing resources to turning it into a, you know, protected, you know, uh, three protected species down there, and uh, and uh, things are coming back rather well. So. Um, you know, it, it can happen. Uh, so yeah, I think when you see the value that to the economies and mm -hmm. just the just the uh, the stigma of having such a a nice resource in your backyard and the tourism, it right. I don't know. We we work hard, and I I think eventually shows like this. Uh, there's more and more awareness all the time, uh -huh. and I'm thinking that if we can keep up the momentum, change will start occurring. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep at it. Well, so how did your quest end in December? Did you <laughs> finish it with a bang or what happened? Oh, my gosh. It was a bang. Uh, we ended up over there, um, back over there on the Snake River, which is even bigger than the Clearwater. And more daunting, but and I had never really done a lot of fishing over there, and 
we were on, it was Christmas Eve, and we, yeah, it was super cold, so we had the entire river to ourselves. The wind was howling, and I do not know how we did it, but we found fish. And uh, we found them at kind of the end of the day again on Christmas Eve, and we could chalk that up as the, as the final month, and we got in the truck, and we started driving home. I think we were had engagements on Christmas with family back here in Salmon, and we couldn't find a place to stay, and it's Christmas Eve night, and it's snowing, and we uh, ended up in some dive motel eating a gas station enchilada, and... Calling it a calling it a day, but we were both happy. We had found fish. Yeah. Oh well, wow. That's uh, yeah. That's that's kind of sad for Christmas Eve. It's pretty sad when you're looking at a a door to the hotel room with three beds on it. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Door. At least you got the fish, like you say. So it was worth it. That's the that's why we're kind of sick that way. I mean. Well, uh, Dave Hudak had a uh, good question to kind of end the show at because we're running out of time here. But he said, since you're still head quest, uh, what other goals have you set for yourself uh, looking forward? Well, I, I'll continue working on recovery efforts, uh, staying engaged in that, and just bringing as much awareness as I can. I, I love to hike. I'll keep hiking as much as I can every day, keep casting, stay connected to my river I love so much, probably ride my mules a little more till there's more fish back in the river and <laughs> till there's more steelhead, I think I'll just go with my single hand and see what other fisheries I've overlooked the past few years. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any big goals, but... I definitely stay busy. Probably just working on recovery will be my main one. Yeah, yeah. Does the salmon there where you live, is it a good fishery for rainbows or browns there or cutthroats? What, what? No, not really. No? We have some tributaries that are fun to go fish, and uh, we're not far from some Montana rivers and some southeast Idaho rivers, so we can find plenty to do to, to keep us yeah. busy. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, we've got to wrap this up. Um, stick with me, though. We're going to do a few giveaways here and so forth before we end the show. And we're going to re- be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal and a one-year subscription to the Drake Magazine. So hang tight with us, and uh, we'll uh, do those giveaways here in just a minute. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. The pebble mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit SaveBristolBay.org to learn more about it and, uh, and to learn how you can get involved. Again, that's SaveBristolBay.org. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. Uh, you can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what do you think of the show? Just click on the link, leave us your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Well, now it's time to give away our prizes. The winners for the drawings are randomly selected from 
the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but uh, make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on a chance to, to win some of the great prizes we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and uh, provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So um, the first thing we're giving away tonight is a uh, one-year uh, membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about Fly Fishers International, go to flyfishersinternational.org, and uh, you'll learn about all the things that uh, they do in the way of conservation and so forth. Um, they're a great organization to support and, uh, and to be part of. And let's see here. Our winner for that is going to be Bob Nunn in New Jersey. Bob Nunn in New Jersey. So congratulations, Bob, and uh, I'm sure you would enjoy your membership. Our, the second thing we're giving away is a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com, amatobooks.com. Check them out. They've got lots of uh, tons of books on fly fishing and other periodicals, um, a great resource for uh, learning and knowledge, so check them out. Uh, our winner for that is going to be Anthony Cook in Michigan, Anthony Cook. So congratulations, Anthony. And um, I know you'll enjoy your, your subscription. So now the um, we're going to give away a subscription to the Drake Magazine. Again, the Drake is a, is a journal for fly fishing enthusiasts and uh, great stories, wonderful photography. Uh, it's, it's not a how-to. It's more of a enjoy and sit by the fireplace and uh, and relax and, and have a good read. So um, check them out at uh, Drake Magazine. And uh, our winner, uh, well, the question I'm going to ask for this is, um, uh, Terry, I asked Terry, uh, how many miles did that steelhead have to swim to get to her ranch? Tell me how many miles that was to get to Terry's ranch uh, that those steelhead have to swim upriver. And uh, we we'll see if we can't get a winner here for the uh, the Drake magazine. So um, so how's the weather up there right now, Terry? You getting any snow yet? We definitely have snow up high and some pretty heavy frost at night, but we don't have any right on the ground here. It's frozen pretty hard. I just got my carrots out in the nick of time. I have a big garden, and uh, they had a Chip through some frozen soil to get them out. Who got them out? Well, Jerry helped. Who <laughs> <laughs> got them out? <laughs> Somebody got them out. Huh? Uh, um, yeah, so um, it looks like we might have a winner here. Um, let me see here. I'll check in with you. Oh, I lost my screen here. Okay. Uh, looks like uh, Tim in Salem, Oregon says 600 miles. Is he right, uh, Terry? Yeah, yeah. 600 miles. Okay, you got it, Tim. Uh, I need a last name, Tim. And um, we'll get you that uh, subscription to the Drake Magazine. Actually, what I need from you, Tim, is your last name plus uh, a mailing address for the subscription, and then we'll get that going for you. So you can put that in the same text box that you just answered in, and we'll get that started for you. So thanks, and uh, thanks for paying attention and, and uh, listening to the show. Well, Terry, hey, and Jerry, we really appreciate you guys being with us. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and uh, have you share your knowledge and your experience, and uh, we'll all uh, help support your, your efforts to save these, uh, the steelhead and uh, help them uh, prosper in the future, so to speak. So uh, thanks so much for being with us.
Well, thank you, Roger. Thanks for having us on and letting us ramble on about it, and we really appreciate it. And you're yes. welcome. Yes, and thanks from Jerry, and Terry's got two pies uh, that she has to make tonight for tomorrow's Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. Okay. Yeah. Well, happy Thanksgiving. And, yeah. Uh, you yeah. All right. Um, hopefully everyone has found our archive on our website. If you haven't, just take a uh, look for the link on the top line of our menu. Uh, the archive, you'll find uh, over 285 shows, I think, now that you can search for by keyword or keyword phrase. Um, like Trout, Tarpon, Madison River, Steelhead, and uh, just go ahead and explore. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you discover out there. Our next broadcast will be on December 5th, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On that show, I will be interview Sarah Lowell, and our topic for the show will be mistakes that you guys make while fly fishing. Are you making mistakes fly fishing? Uh, Sarah's a professional guide in New York and has seen just about every mistake her clients could possibly make. Um, so she'll help you with fly fishing techniques, help you break bad habits. Uh, some of the common issues include correcting a, a, approaching fish, improving fly selection, proper presentation, consistent and accurate casting, efficient hookup and landing of fish. So join us and learn how you can correct those bad habits you might not even know you have. So. Uh, we'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, The Drake Magazine, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, Watermaster, and Baja Fly Fishing Company for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.